Hey guys, today we're on Ephesians chapter 3. You know, Ephesians is the highest revelation of the church, as we saw yesterday and the day before. And, you know, now we're on chapter 3, and, you know, many people love chapter 3. It is so sublime. Yes, this chapter doesn't have one of the seven aspects of the church, um, but this chapter is key to experiencing those other seven aspects in the other chapters of Ephesians. It's a chapter that's very personal, and yet it's very grand. Um, the prayer in Ephesians 3 has been called the heart of the heart of the New Testament. You know, uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians are the books where Paul's revelation is the highest. And these books show us God's eternal purpose and economy for the church. And they've been called the heart of the New Testament. Well, the heart of the heart. Some people have said it's Ephesians 3 verses 16 through 19, the prayer of the Apostle Paul for the church to experience God in all his fullness. Well, this chapter uh, begins with a, a man in prison uh, beseeching the Gentiles that they would understand his stewardship that he received on their behalf. And this word stewardship in Greek is also translated economy, uh, same Greek word, oikonomia, in verse 2, stewardship, also translated economy, in verse 9 of this chapter. And the meaning sort of differs uh, between when it's uh, God, it's his plan or his arrangement, and when it's toward us, toward Paul, it's his ministry. It's his participation in God's macro economy. So in God's economy, that's his arrangement that he has to dispense himself into his chosen people to make them the body of Christ for his corporate expression. And Paul says he's received a part, a stewardship in that economy to minister the unsearchable riches of Christ. And, you know, it's interesting, just as with God, his economy involved him paying a price, even the highest price. He came to earth, he lived, he was persecuted, mocked, scourged, crucified, was was put in the tomb and rose again and has now ascended. So also with, with us, our participation as stewards involves a price, which Paul describes in verse 1. He says he's a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and literally he was a prisoner of the Roman Empire, but he felt his being a prisoner there was uh, actually Christ was his prison and Christ was the one who had imprisoned him in his ministry. But in verse 13, he says, I ask you, Ephesians, don't faint at my afflictions for your sake, for their for your glory. So that's Paul letting us know that our participation in God's economy also comes with an accompanying price. But he would say the, the coming glory to be revealed upon us far outweighs the momentary afflictions that we have. And so Paul realizes he's been let in on the greatest mystery, the mystery of the entire universe is what is God's eternal purpose. And he touches it right here in this chapter in verses, um, in verses 9 through 11. He says that the multifarious wisdom of God, the multifaceted ability and wisdom of and planning and the surprising outcome um, that the church now manifests God's glory. 
uh, in so many ways would be made known to Satan's evil rulers, the rulers and the authorities and the heavenlies and all, both good and evil angelic rulers would see that God could take the fallen men, the, the men who were dead in offenses and sins and enliven them, constitute them and build them together into his masterpiece uh, the, that displays his corporate uh, expression and his wisdom. So this is the, the first half of Ephesians 3 is these, main, these two main points, the stewardship and the revelation of the mystery. And now we're going to look briefly at the prayer that rounds out the second half of Ephesians 3, where Paul says, I, I now bow my knees unto the Father, and he begins to pray for the saints there, that they would experience all that he's spoken about previously. So he says that first they would be strengthened into the inner man, that Christ may make his home in their hearts. And this is an amazing phrase, that Christ would make home in our hearts. You know, our hearts are our mind, our emotion, our will, that's our whole soul, plus our conscience. So for Christ to make home in our hearts means he's spreading from within our spirit into our whole soul. And when we allow him to spread, he makes his home. He's the occupant in the house of our heart. And we want to pray this prayer every day, Lord Today, when I go to bed, I pray you will have made more home in my heart. What my thinking is, what my choices are, what I love will be more your home. Then he goes on and says that you'd be full of strength to apprehend with all the saints what the breadth, length, height, and depth are. And we could say these are the dimensions of Christ. It's an interesting concept that Christ is uh, broad and deep and high and you know, each one of us by ourselves, we enjoy and maybe we are suited to different aspects of Christ. Maybe some of us are really into prayer. Maybe if you're really into prayer, when you meet someone who's really into gospel preaching, you're, you're impressed and you're uh, struck with how broad Christ is. Here's someone not like you, and yet they're enjoying Christ. And so by our blending and by our being strengthened to apprehend together all that Christ is. We know, we know something far greater than what we individually know of Christ. We know the knowledge surpass, surpassing love of Christ, and we are together filled. We're filled unto all the fullness of God. And you know, the fullness of God is a really wonderful expression that Paul uses here and in chapter 1. The fullness means the the riches of God have become worked into us, the church, to become God's corporate expression. And we have this metaphor we've used before where, you know, you could say America is a rich country. If you eat the food of America, you could become the fullness of America. You could express the riches of the food of America by growing big, growing tall, growing strong, right? So similarly, God is full of riches, and when the church receives the riches of God's attributes, the church becomes the fullness of God. This is incredible. And then Paul closes his prayer with a praise, a doxology, a, a hymn of praise to him who is able to do super abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power which operates in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus 
So here, Paul is saying the glory that has come into us now returns to God. The expression of God that has come into us now returns to God. So this is chapter 3. It's Paul's speaking to us concerning his ministry, his stewardship, which he received from God to reveal the mystery, the eternal economy and purpose of God. And then it's his prayer for us to experience all that he has done for us. And until we become the fullness of God and the glory that is in us returns to God.